faith in the biblical sense, in the Christian sense. Faith in Christ is the um, condition of being so persuaded that something is true that nothing could persuade you otherwise. That's what's being talked about in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to turn there and read that for just a moment. This will be very familiar to you. We just sang about remembering that Jesus is the faithful one. Through life's darkest valleys, that, that what we're going to shout back is that he is faithful. And I know that dark valleys are not strangers to many of us. And here's what the Bible has to say about uh, the confidence we can have in this faith. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, persuaded, convinced I have faith that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord are you persuaded of that this morning can you sing the song and and uh, in honesty of heart not perfection of practice, but in, in honesty of heart, can you say, no matter what I face in life's darkest valleys, I'm going to shout that God is good, that he is the faithful one. What does this mean? What do these distractions and this distress mean to persuade me? It really means nothing because I am so persuaded that Jesus is Lord that he has saved, that it is sure that nothing could persuade me otherwise. That's faith this morning. We're going to be looking together at Ephesians, another writing of the Apostle Paul. And as we said a few weeks ago, really a, a writing of God. We talk about these human agents through whom uh, God shared his word with us, his perfect and unerring word, without any mixture of error, but the human agent here was the Apostle Paul writing to a group of folks in a town and a church called the Church of Ephesus, the Ephesians. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, we're going to begin in, verses, in verse 1 and go through verse 10 in just a moment. The Apostle Paul is trying to give a before and after to the Ephesians. He's trying to remind them a good church. Uh, he's trying to say, don't forget. Don't forget who you were before. Don't forget who you are now in Christ. I saw a before and after picture on Facebook the other day. For some reason, you know, Facebook knows us. I don't know if you know that. They know you, right? They're following you with lasers and satellites. Uh, but they know me, and they're advertising diet foods to me. Um, and they, they show me a before this diet miracle and after the diet miracle. If you, if you choose this, Matthew... I mean, if you click here, uh, you could look like this after guy. I thought, I'd be happy to look like the, the before guy, you know? I mean, that's how bad things are. But uh, the, there's a picture. that This is the, the impulse behind this writing. The Apostle Paul wants them never to forget, to always remember 
They're a good church, but listen, he said, don't forget, though. Don't ever forget. And don't ever lose that, that deep place of passion for what Jesus has done for you. He brought you out of darkness, and he brought you from death to life. That's what we're talking about today. I want to show you a picture here of the front page of a newspaper. This is the Uvalde, um, what does it say? Leader News is the name of their newspaper. Uvalde, Texas was the site of uh, the mass shooting this week. I first saw this kind of pop up on my news feed, and I think I was in the hospital making a visit, and I saw on my phone that this popped up, and I thought, this can't be real, you know? I mean, haven't we learned enough? Haven't we come far enough? Nine, it was 14 at the time, and now 19 children <clears throat> are dead. Not just children, elementary children, even uh, more heartbreaking, more innocent, more helpless, you might say. I saw that, I thought, I just can't believe it. And Erica said to me uh, that night or the next day, she said, you know, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, you know, I don't know, really. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me. And later I realized, I'm just thinking a lot about this shooting, you know? It's just such a darkness. Didn't it capture you this week? Or didn't it draw you in? And, and, uh, and the same week, uh, a task force report was released from Southern Baptist Life that named some of the... Uh, supposed sex abusers in our history and one of the names implicated was from this state and one of the most respected revered and oh, admired leaders in church life and church planting and multiplication of disciples and all the buzzwords you track them right back to him and say that's the guy to look at and there his name is right there seemingly with credible documentation to back it up and you just see again, darkness. There's darkness. The Apostle Paul uses this depth of darkness to start us off in seeing where we came from. What was our before? And in doing this, we get a description of some of the forces of evil that we're facing. And so today's title is Facing the Forces of Evil. What do we do about this evil? I mean, how do we change things? I mean, what, how did this happen? Who's behind it? Where do we go from here? I think we'll see in this text three, three spiritual enemies. We're going to look together at what the spiritual forces are that we're up against. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of the letter to the Ephesians. And you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course, the course of this world, following the prince of the power. The word prince there is the word archon in Greek. Uh, archon, uh, like archangel. I mean, the, it's a ruler. It's a high one. Uh, like architecture, the, the plans, the designs that dictate everything in a building, uh, it, its authority, its design, its purpose, uh, like archery, it's over things. Uh, it's a ruler that following the prince, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived. We all once lived among the sons of disobedience. That, that group, that subgroup, uh, us and them, we were all once, what, them, among whom we all once lived in the passions of what, our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature. We did not, uh, we, we did not have to work to become children of wrath. Our sinful nature into which we were born and the verification, the validation of that by our personal sinfulness. Listen, we're children of wrath like who? Like a few people? No, like all of them. Like the rest of mankind, like all of us. Verse 4, but God. Listen, put those two words in your pocket forever. But God. Now God uses this phrase a few times in Scripture to describe what he did to Oh, to, to pivot us from darkness to light, from, from one kingdom to another domain, the kingdom of his beloved son. But God, there's a helplessness described here in these first few verses. We ought to get the desperation of a, of a drowning, gasping person. Uh, like, I, I'm, I'm underneath the, the sins of my flesh, and I'm underneath the sins of a broken world system, and I'm underneath the, 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 the work of this devil this prince, this powerful one in the world. The spirit that is at work against me. I'm undone, I'm ruined, that's it, period. But God. We can praise God for that. Put that in your pockets, kids, when you're facing desperation, when all is lost, when you need hope and you don't know, uh, you don't, haven't taken a theological course and you don't know uh, all that you need in that moment, but you can remember, but God. But God is more. I'm persuaded that neither height nor depth nor anything else, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, but God. Is there any God who can rescue out of this situation? Here I am messed up again. Here I am uh, sinful again. Here I am and, and, and it's sober for boom. And now this, but God. Don't ever forget those two words. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. How alive? As alive as Jesus is. Did you see that Jesus died and rose from the grave and was ascended to be with Father? Alive. That's how alive we are from that depth of death that we were in. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the spiritual forces we're up against? In an evil and a dark world where sin seems to win, 
here's what we face. We face a sin-carved course. We Don't miss this. We have three spiritual enemies, and the first one listed here is a world system that is broken and poisoned by sin. And as human beings, we face a course carved out, a channel through the world, the workings and the operation of the world, the mind of the world, the morals of the world that is well-worn. It is a path of least resistance. The world is charting a course that it wants all humanity to fall into. And with the world here, here's what it means. It's a broken world system that is poisoned and corrupted by sin. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when sin flooded in to humanity, everything broke. Let me read you a scripture uh, that is uh, close to my heart about this. In Romans chapter 8 again, speaking of creation, it says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. This is speaking of the ultimate day of redemption, the return of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen? Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, not only do you long for things to be made right, not only does our heart sometimes call out, Jesus, come quickly. I, this week that was on my mind. Uvalde, Texas, oh, just Lord, come quickly. What's going to put an end to this? When will it be set right? When will evil stop winning? Come quickly. Not only do we groan, but all the creation is poisoned by sin, and that poison just amplifies and multiplies, and it grows and grows. Romans chapter 1 describes this, the cycle downward of sinfulness in the generations and distance from God, the results of that. Erica's friend has a little dog over in Sewanee, Georgia, got bit by a copperhead this week. All week long, it's been in the vet hospital skin's been dying and turning black and organs been shutting down and breathing has been labored and it's not altogether certain what's going to happen to the dog and parts have had to be removed and all because something entered there and spread that's what's happening in our world and the world here runs a course a course like a path that's beaten over and over again until you can just see the way to go it draws you into it. We're going to the beach next week. I've been reading all about rip currents. That's good reading before you go to the beach, uh, by the way. Reading all about rip currents and sharks. Apparently, they caught a shark off the coast of Pensacola there, great white. And they say well, these currents, some warm currents sometimes come in, and, and the sharks all just like a highway. They just go through there. I thought, man, that's like a double whammy, isn't it? Like you're swimming at the beach. You not only get caught in a rip current, but it's full of sharks at the same time, right? Just, they say just, just swim along with the current is what they tell you to do. What if the sharks, you know? I mean, anyway, uh, here's the thing. The course of this world is so well-worn. It's so sunken in to the dirt of this place. The thinking of the world, the framework for operating 
of this broken, sinful, poison system. The, the patterns of practice, the objects of its worship, its morals and standards are so beaten into the dirt that we're just drawn into it. Like a nice current, just take, it's a course, it just takes humanity in. We're helpless before it. And it all seems right to us. We were all like that, the Bible says. We were taken into the course. We we're following the course of this world. See, we have to understand that the spiritual forces arrayed against us include the overwhelming current, the course of a sin-sick world that is determined to drag every soul under its inescapable influence. Does that sound like something you can break free from? Does that sound like a gravity that you can get out of? For those without Jesus, it never will be. And so we praise God today. For those in Christ, we praise God today for the two words, but God. But God did something different. But while we walk this world, guess what? Even as believers, even though we have power in Christ, the patterns of this world still want to draw us in. They still, we still fight that. And if you're without Christ, and you're an 18-year-old boy in Uvalde, Texas, Satan has wielded his tools against you generationally, cycle after cycle, and the brokenness of sin poisoning the world and breaking our bodies and our flesh. And uh, Listen, what are these forces of evil? The first force is this. We face, a, we face a sin-carved course. We do. The second, we face a purpose-filled power. What I notice about this is you might look at a sin-carved course and think, well, that's kind of abstract. That's kind of, kind of mechanical, you know. Uh, but we also have a very personal enemy. In the second part of verse 2, we're following the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan, guys. The devil, that ancient serpent that Revelation talks about that for, for eons has been learning you and me and knowing you and me weak spots and vulnerabilities and tactics that work and ones that fail them. Uh, this is a, a capable personal enemy. And that's what we face in a wicked and a broken world. If the world sounds impersonal and abstract to you, just wait. We have a very personal and powerful enemy. Here are a few quick verses about Satan that the Bible has for us. Just to get our minds around the power that he holds in this world. 1 John 5 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We live in an age in which Satan is not confined, in which, in which he influences us with power. 2 Timothy says this, speaking of those who need to come to repentance, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Does someone who's not powerful capture people, snare people, enforce his will upon them? No. Ephesians chapter 6, the same book we're in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Listen to these words. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the nature of the organization of evil against us. It is powerful. 
The Bible calls Satan the God of this world. And Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Little r. Not God. Not God's power. He's described here as a prince, not a potentate. But he still has power over us. And it's very personal. I was at AutoZone this week, sadly. Unfortunate when I have to go to AutoZone. If you know my background, my dad nor my grandfather, none of them really fixed that type of stuff, and it did not get passed down to me. My son Jackson picked it up by some miracle, uh, and so, but not me. So I was at AutoZone, and I said, listen, does this go with my car? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, is it in the computer? You know, the, and uh, he said, no, it's not in the computer. He said, let me ask Ed. And he went back to the back. You ever been in AutoZone? They have those rows of stuff you can't get to, belts and filters. They go back in the back. Usually you can see back there, but I couldn't see all the way back. I could just smell like the potent odor of like grease and sweat. It was Ed. Uh, and so the, the guy, uh, he went back there and I could hear some folks talking and he came back and said, Ed, does, Ed says this is not the right one. Here's what you need. I said, who? I wanted to say, who is Ed, you know? How does he know all the stuff that the, the computer doesn't even know? Uh, listen, Satan is educated and able and powerful in the ways of sin and temptation. We may not see him. We might, we, we, and, and we truly, as Baptists, we want to many times dismiss those spiritual matters as sensational, but we do have a personal enemy. We're in a broken world system all around us, but there is a mind behind what's after you. There is a mind behind the darkness. There is a mind that takes these other two forces, the forces of our flesh, the forces of a broken world, and wields them like instruments of death against us. Don't underestimate that. God, why this evil? Where did this come? How could this happen? We're in a desperate situation. The, the stakes are huge in our own past, in our own before picture, and certainly in a world without Christ. In a world without Christ, these things have their way unconditionally. Except for the residual hope of the influence of the Holy Spirit within you and me. The light in the darkness. Without a redeemer, every person for all time is unshakably subject to the iron grip of Satan. Did you know that? Don't make the mistake of thinking that what happened in Uvalde or any other sin-wrecked situation is impersonal happenstance. Oh, another coincidence. Oh, another, you know, reporting system that failed. No. Say, so it's just mental, it, that was mental illness is all that was, Matthew. You know where that comes from? That comes from Genesis chapter 2. That, that comes from the fall. That comes from sin poisoning. Entering the arteries, the veins of that, of that dog of, of, of humanity and flooding through us. And you better believe that that devil knows how to take the brokenness of those things and wield them over humanity. Use care, Christian. Because we're delivered out of that, praise God. 
You once were, the Bible tells us. But Satan still, what, lurks about, the Bible says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's doing that. Use care. Thirdly, our third spiritual enemy, we, we face an internal enemy. We face our own flesh. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. A, a decay set up in our flesh, physically and spiritually. You don't have to look far to see that, to know that. You don't have to look far across the street or down to the hospital and know that a decay has set up in this old body. And that came from, the original, from sin, and it comes from sinfulness. Uh, we're decaying not only physically, but we're decaying spiritually as well. And our flesh bears out that decay in both of those ways. Erica uh, said she wanted to go to her, or she, she didn't want to go, but we looked at the pictures of her 25th high school reunion uh, this last week. Uh, some, to some of y'all, you say, well, that means you're a youngin'. Uh, and so, I guess so. But 25 years out of high school, we looked at the pictures online, and the people looked so old to us, which is a, it just stupefied us because we haven't changed, you know, and uh, just kidding. But something happens, doesn't it? Sin enters. Change happens. We're brought down. The dust is calling, wanting us back from where God brought us. Listen, there's a spiritual decay that enters up in our flesh that we have to watch out for. Even though through Christ, believers have been granted uh, power over our flesh, we are not subject to it anymore. But for now, for a time, we still do occupy it. it in its, its sin-corrupted condition, it is always with us, and it feels trustworthy. It, the heart speaks, and we want to believe it. It sounds reasonable. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end leads to destruction. It is powerful. And for those who have no deliverer, for those who won't receive the Savior, its power is absolute. Look at the darkness. Look at Uvalde and, 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 and the other things we've talked about today. How is the world not evil? <laughs> if you think about our, our, our flesh, if you think about this Satan, if, if you think about the course of a broken, sinful world, how is there any good? How is it not this way all the time with mass shootings and sex scandals over from those we trusted? Well, the answer is in the next verse, verse 4. And the last point, the conclusion, we face an impossible situation we face an impossible situation but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved I love the word even in this text here even when you were dead the word even here's what that means it means it shouldn't be that way it means, oh, he's dead. Well, even, even though he was dead, he's now alive. It, it goes against our reasoning uh, even when we were dead. I was a police officer for 
many years in Chattanooga, and one night a Collegedale officer, Collegedale, Tennessee, got in a pursuit on Udawa Ringgold Road uh, in our county, and uh, the pursuit was with a motorcycle who had failed to stop, and even though the officer eventually terminated that pursuit, the motorcycle carried on and lost control and went into a ditch and hit what's called a culvert. They don't give. I mean, that's a big mass of concrete put there for a reason. And down in this ditch, not a shallow ditch, but a deep ditch, uh, I came upon the blue lights of the Collegedale unit. And uh, he was down there in that ditch. And I got down there with him. And he was trying everything to, uh, to attend to this uh, motorcyclist who was unconscious, unresponsive, in bad shape. And he started doing what looked like CPR. And he looked at me, he said, will you go get my mask out of the car in a, a desperate state? Yeah, if you've ever been in uh, that kind of work, you know it gets the better of you sometimes. And this night was his night. Other nights would be mine. But in that moment, he said, will you go get my mask? And he was going to do breathing into that body. And I had to say, listen, this is over. And I had to lay my hand on his shoulder. I said, no. I had to say, look. And what was in front of us was an gruesome scene and in, the, in that profession we we call that technically uh, injuries that are incompatible with life you don't have to do life-saving measures on someone who no cosmetic no no vascular no no nobody in the world could piece that back together i said it's always it's done look that's the picture here of our deadness this is meant to bring us to a point of hopelessness. I hate to do that to you today, right before meatballs, but this, is a, this, is, this is, has to do with hopelessness. We, the, the Ephesians and we are supposed to look at this and think, oh God, what can I do? How can I, how can I change this? Lord, there's nothing. A, a hand is supposed to be laid upon our shoulder and say, Quit it. There's no hope here. Look. You're dead. Your sinfulness is complete. There's no power that can rescue you. There's no escape in this. Done. Right before our eyes are pointed to two words. But God. I praise God for that, don't you? And I hope today somehow you're not dead to the fact, deadened to the fact that that was your condition. I hope that you can see the, the desperation here that only God could do it. And when only he could do it, he did it. Just when evil seems to hold absolute power in our unredeemed lives, and in this fallen world, God uses the word but. Let that feeling of gasping desperation work in you a, a weight of gratitude today. An impulse of worship that is different maybe than what you've done before. That recognizes what God did for you in giving you hope. Let it work in you an obedient life for the miraculous salvation that God has wrought in your abject spiritual deadness. Ephesians, 
Live your life out of that. Poplar Springs, live your life out of that. Questions I want to close with today are this. Listen carefully. Have you been raised from spiritual death by God's grace? The word is grace. It's used over and over in this. And what it means is only God could do it. The hand was on the shoulder. The death certificate was signed. Stop the CPR. But God came in grace and did what you never could do. You never could do it, not even for a moment. Have you been raised from spiritual death by God's grace? The offer of the cross is open. It stands on this very day. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as Savior, listen, you're hopeless. You come, you receive him this day. We'll stand with you and celebrate. God will be glorified and you will be saved. You'll be moved from darkness into light, uh, from, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That'll be you this morning in actuality. Have you been raised from spiritual death by God's grace? Christian, is there evidence in your life that you get it? Is there evidence in your life that, you've been, that you know what you've been delivered from and that you are aware of what you've been brought into? If you get it, it's going to show. No, no guesswork. Nobody's going to have to ask. You're going to be, you're, there will be life in you, not only uh, eternal and everlasting, but now visible and vibrant. The saddest part, maybe, of this week's story in Uvalde was what came out later. I mean, it was learned that the shooter was actually in there for a long time. Unimpaired. Unstopped. That police and dozens armed and vested and Kevlar and had gathered outside and some were inside and he was in the room with the children and the teacher. Sure, maybe the shooting, the noise had stopped, but not the bleeding. It was unthinkable to many of us to read. They waited. And the parents were outside and they were saying, go in. Please go in. And dad said, they're not going in. Let's us go in. And they were stopped. <laughs> they weren't allowed to go in. That's unthinkable. I mean, it's unthinkable that that, that, that would happen. Now, in 2022, can't imagine the sadness of of that and the desperation of those parents who pleading do something and the ones who were equipped and geared up and camera you, you know the whole thing there they are ready able to go and there's no going happening that tells some type of a story doesn't it how about you christian brother christian sister You know the desperation now. You know the darkness. You know the bloodletting that is happening. Every personal enemy who has power in the world, the subjection, subjugation to our flesh and to a sin-poisoned system, you know people are in there and they need you. Are you going in? Are you telling? Are you living? Are you showing? Are you doing? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you... Do you know this? 
if they could, from hell, there would be those who plead with us, go, go, go in there. And so my urging of you today and of me, let's live like this is real. Because it is. It's real. If you're not saved this morning, today is the day of salvation. You walk away from this. You're walking away from the precious crimson flow of the Lord Jesus. And believers in Jesus Christ today, we have got to live like this makes a difference. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I want to offer you a time of response. I have to tell you, I did not want to preach this sermon. It's springtime, it's pretty outside. I'm going to fellowship today, and I love you. I don't want to darken your countenance. I don't want to bring you down. But we don't have the privilege of taking God's word and saying, no, this doesn't suit us. So today, my offer for response is a sincere one. It would be okay for you to walk down front and to bend the knee and to pray for others, to thank God for your own salvation, to commit to living more fully for him. Unbeliever, it would be, it would be okay today for you to walk down here and to take my hand and say, Pastor, you know, I don't know all the answers, but I know I've, I've got to be saved. Listen, we were, there's only one who can do it. He did it. He did it for you. Maybe you'd come today for some other reason that I haven't mentioned. The floor is open. And of course, you sit right there if you like and pray to the Lord, speak to the Lord on your own. That's perfectly fine. But if you're honest, you know that sometimes the best way to move toward God is to move. To move your feet. To flex your joints get down and to show him that this is different. Maybe you'll do that today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us. I pray you will redeem what's happened here today and use it for your glory and for your people and for a world that needs Christians to shine, to push back the darkness and to be real. We give this to you in Jesus' name and by his power. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, feel free to respond.